One shift as we rethink small group instruction is the amount of time students should spend in a group. Previously, we would often regroup students according to a specific time frame, perhaps every four to six weeks. We realize now that differentiation requires groups to be fluid. One key component when planning small group instruction is considering how long skills take to learn and how complex they are. Catherine Dockery Stahl has shared how the constrained skills theory is an impactful resource to use when considering small group instruction. We are so excited to have Catherine join us today to share her insight on this theory and how it can inform our instruction. Welcome to the podcast. Before we explore today's top topic, could you briefly introduce yourself and highlight the key aspects of your background, especially your journey from teaching in classrooms to becoming a liter literacy consultant and author? Marjorie, thank you so much for inviting me to be here today. Um, I taught, I came late to academia, and I taught in public school classrooms for 28 years, uh, grades one through six, and I taught in the total classroom, and then I also taught intervention for several years. Then later, I did enter academia, and I taught at the University of Illinois for four years, and then I was at NYU for 15 years. I taught in the graduate program, and I also directed the reading clinic there, which, which I loved because it really kept me in touch with children and teachers and um, working with children who had reading difficulties. You had a wide, wide range of experiences, and I think that's something that makes it so valuable. Just in our pre-call, we had so much to learn from you, and I'm really excited for our listeners to get to learn from you today, too. In this series, we're really talking about small group and how we can revisit or rethink the way we structure our small groups. And I would love for you to share in your experience what foundational principles that educators should keep in mind when designing and implementing small group literacy instruction? Okay, when we talk about small group instruction, we're really talking about a couple of different models or different frameworks for instruction. Uh, we're talking of when the small group is happening in classrooms with classroom differentiation. We also then are talking about tier two and tier three uh, settings in which the children are getting intervention and um, that it's a very, very content specific, or we're also in the special ed setting. Hopefully that is small group. And I think we can't really generalize because I think each of those frameworks has a different purpose and that we want to make clear we're differentiating those purposes as well. And um, I think one of the main things to consider in terms of formulating our small groups is making sure that our school is using valid, reliable assessments, because it's those assessments that are going to define what children go into what group. And um, I think with the primary grades, as we're, we're going to be talking today about those primary grades, kindergarten, first and second grade, I think that, I think that most schools are using screeners for phonological awareness, phonics, and also uh, perhaps high-frequency words, and fluency. Um, hopefully by the time they're at the end of first grade and second grade, an important screener is not just listening to the prosodic features and the expression that children are using when they're reading, but we really do need 
that that words correct per minute by the end of first grade and second grade tells us so much about children. It is a little harder with comprehension uh, in terms of screening. But one of the things that I don't see very often, and I, I don't think you can really use this as a screener, and I think, but and I think it has to be used more diagnostically. But in kindergarten, first, and and even early second grade, in terms of comprehension. And it, it gets very tricky. If we see that some children and that we suspect they are having difficulties with comprehension, we need to also use some diagnostic tools on listening comprehension that are available. Um, and I don't see that happening very often in primary grades. For example, uh, we have in kindergarten, I think it would be very useful for teachers and schools to be using the Selsby scale uh, of reading uh, and because it, it shows us how children are retelling a story, what their what their conception of reading is through those development of just listening to stories to then beginning to be expected to do pretend reading. And so it, there's a scale. And I think that's an important thing for teachers to use if they if they think children are having a comprehension problem. And then also there's also a scale, um, a wordless picture book inventory that can be used. And I have both of these are actually in my assessment book that you, you know, that teachers could just pull them out and use them. And those will help teachers decide whether children are really having comprehension problems in kindergarten, first and second grade, because often the other means that we're using are not that reliable. Um, so so I, I think, I think in terms of th those those assessments are what we need to really rely on for the establishing groups. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned was really important. And um, in our show notes, we will have your assessment book linked. But I think that is something that as we kind of move into that next question is that constrained skills theory is when we think of assessment and when we think of primary grades, um, and you, you spoke about this and you wrote about this in your article, Applying New Visions of Reading Development in Today's Classrooms, was some of those skills that you talked about, phonological awareness, phonics, fluency when we think of words correct per minute, those are really easy to measure. But as we start to get to some more complex skills, and as you know, there are many different layers and relationships with some of these skills, it does become a little bit more challenging to assess, but it's absolutely critical to assess. And as we think about comprehension, no, we're not going to dig too deep into it today, but it's something that we do need to be continuing to think about and monitor for our young learners as well. And that really can inform our instruction as we're thinking about small groups. And as you said, in the many different settings that small groups can be taking place. Comprehension, and this is important to keep in mind with all of our science of reading conversations. We can, it, Comprehension is across a lifetime. It's across a lifetime. We have got to emphasize comprehension. We cannot use at all of our literacy time. Our classroom days are jam-packed. We are jam-packed with content. And we have got to be very careful that for a complex skill like comprehension, that we are allocating the, the needed time for the complexity of comprehension. And I love that you said that comprehension, it's ongoing, right? We never, it, it never ends. And, and you talk a lot about that in the article as well, is this is, this is a lifetime. And 
we do these foundational skills when we think about, you know, decoding and what goes into decoding, phonemic awareness, phonics, that the fluency and the automaticity of these skills are absolutely critical. But when we when we think about our day, they shouldn't be taking up most of our time, right? As you said, these are these are skills that are critical, but they're quick to master. Yes, we need to teach it, but it's really easy to teach in an explicit and systematic manner. And we teach it and we, you know, we, we get that mastery and, but that doesn't mean that the rest of our day isn't including these important and critical pieces as we think about, you know, those less constrained skills. And in our pre-call, you had talked a lot about that importance of listening comprehension, right? So even if my students can't decode yet, that doesn't mean I'm not dipping into the comprehension and seeing what they can understand. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more, especially as we think about assessments. I think when we have these constrained skills, they're easy to assess, they're easier to teach, they can be systematic. And, and as we start to move towards those less constrained, I think that's where it becomes challenging because how do we assess it? And you you mentioned a little bit about some ways we could assess it, but I, I really love the way um, you had talked about just asking students to summarize the story, right? And yeah, so we talked about, um, and, and particularly in small groups, and you wanna have, you know, I, you wanna have small groups. I know there's a lot of controversy right now about leveled books and decodable texts, and guess what? We need them all. <laughs> we, we need decodable texts. And the place, in my opinion, and in my experience, the place for the decodable texts is during the phonics period, the 45 minutes of the phonics instructional block, that is where the decodable texts belong. But then when you have small group instruction, we need to see that children are able to transfer, not only that, but also to know when and how to apply particular phonics things in naturalistic settings. And the way we're going to do that for kindergarten and first graders is using our level texts in small group discussions or in small group instruction. And that can be done in the classroom. I would say that we probably don't wanna do that in the intervention settings. That is where we really wanna stick with those more constrained skills in kindergarten, first grade, and really confirm that those are in place. But in the classroom differentiation, that should be using some leveled text so that children can handle text that's not too difficult, not too easy, be held accountable for reading that text, and employing those phonics skills as needed. You know, that it's just not a concentration of our are controlled. It's just not a concentration of the short A and the short vowel sounds. It is mixed up and it's things that we learned a month ago. And it's, uh, you know, and so, um, you know, we want to have that kind of reading in the differentiated classroom. And then in the, and, and then we would have um, the, the phonics skills and phonological awareness skills, you know, in the intervention setting, uh, they would be differentiating because I think also in, you know, in relationship to the phonics, the, there is a, we have a, a sequence of phonics skills that we know. I mean, different programs may do it a little differently, but it's pretty, it's pretty basic. It's, you know, the, the, you know, the letter sounds, you know, the consonant sounds, short vowels, long vowels, 
uh, or silent E, then the other digraph long vowels, then R controlled, and so forth. So we really do have, you know, most most commercial programs are going to have that um, down. So I think that in this small group differentiation, what we really want to do, and this gets back to the assessment, is making sure that in those intervention settings, when we are providing intervention, that we have groups that are as homogeneous as possible. And that gets back to a little note that I had made for myself is that has to do with schools. Your grade level team, we need to decide together, all right? We need to decide what is our function for our interventionist. For that 30 or 45 minutes that she is working with our kids, what is it that we want her to do? I don't think we want her to be duplicating in the intervention setting what we are doing there. So if we have, if we're using our phonics curriculum, it may not be exactly matched with where we've tested children, but we still want to give kids those systematic, explicit lessons along that developmental you know, continuum, whole class. But then when we get into our intervention setting, we then want to see, okay, where exactly are these kids? And we want to actually, at a, as a grade level, we want to group our intervention kids by what their diagnosed needs are. And then in the intervention, we don't have the classroom teacher running down the hall saying to the poor uh, literacy specialist, I have a new kid. They need to be in your group. You need, I know they need help. No, if we have, if our groups are defined and as a team, we have decided this is what we're, our intervention purpose is, then we have a criteria and we have a match of our assessment with what instruction is happening in that small group of intervention. So impactful as you think about the constrained skills theory again, and when we think about grouping, because that's a question that's often asked, should we be grouping homogeneously? Should it be hetero? Like, what should we be doing? What's the best way? We know we can learn from different abilities. But when we think, and that's where, again, when I read your article, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the answer to so many things. When we think about grouping, it's those skills that are easily mastered. They're quick, they're explicit, they follow a system. They're, you know, one dimensional. Like we want to group those students together based on their needs. And then as there's, it's multi-dimensional. And as we can learn from conversation and learn vocabulary and really support and scaffold those pieces that are multi-layered that continue and go on and on, that's really where we should be considering grouping with a different ability and, and supporting and learning from each other. And the text as well, as you said, you know, decodable text, yeah, that belongs when in those foundational grades, when students are learning the skill of decoding and then they can apply it. And really, as we get into comprehension, we want students to be in a variety, right? Once you learn how to read those words, like let's give them all different kinds of text because that, the goal here is the comprehension. And I think that's really helpful to consider as teachers are hearing and learning. As you said, there's so much discussion about so many things. Um, no, you should be using small groups. No, now you shouldn't be using small groups or no, they should be homogeneous. No, they shouldn't. And it, it's the answer is it's different depending on, on what the goal is and what the needs are. And one of the things that we can really do that's really helpful for kids, both in the lower grades and the upper grades, 
is, you know, if we really, and we're not talking theme teaching, we're talking using our state content standards to build our reading and, and writing units. And I think that the, the new science and social studies standards do a really good job of integrating the literacy and the writing with that. And I think that this also speaks to the nature of reading comprehension. We want kids to have the knowledge. And if we as teachers, if that's one variable that we can control and make sure that they have the knowledge, then the other comprehension skill sets will be easier for us to teach because we are establishing the knowledge. It's also going to be easier for us to assess and to find out where the child is really having difficulty. So building these units around our you know, you know, or even if it's in a, the, a, the different time of the day, you know, having the reading that kids are doing in science and social studies being shared reading and working on projects and those projects so that the differentiation then comes with child selected projects that they're doing. And the, and so then the, you're doing reading, you're writing in response to the text. And so you're really integrating it all in engaging ways and um, in ways that are compatible theoretically with how kids learn to understand text. And then even it, it, it leads to natural ways to measure what are they doing well? Are they able to communicate in speech what they've understood, but they're not doing it as well in writing and I need to work with them more or they need to be in a small group where they're having more scaffolding related to the writing? Or um, are they able to, um, you know, are they able to really do things with what they've read and on certain kinds of topics, but not other topics and different kinds of text? And what can we do in terms of text structure and so forth to sp support that learning in a small group? So, um, so, so it's much more flexible when we're talking unconstrained skills and flexible grouping, whereas the linear constrained skills, it's much more rigid. Yes. Um, what we like to do at the end of these episodes is really just kind of walk, if, if teachers are listening and it's a lot of new learning and a lot of information, we like to say, okay, so what's the one key takeaway, right? If you're listening to all of this and you're going, oh my goodness, I'm rethinking all of it now, but the one, the one thing we want to make sure teachers walk away with, what would you say is the one key takeaway uh, you'd like to share? I think the one key takeaway is that kids need it all, okay? They need both the comprehension as well as the constrained skills and the unconstrained skills. And I think that it means to um, that we need to approach them differently, you know, approach those constrained skills a little differently in terms of assessment and instruction and grouping than we do the unconstrained skills. So I, I guess that, that would be really well. <laughs> I, I thought that was a pretty tough question because we've talked about so many things and I think you just wrapped that up beautifully. Yep, they need it all, but it, we're going to approach it differently. And I think that's, that's the step that can really prepare teachers to kind of think about their grouping and the different scenarios, the different needs, and hopefully um, take this learning and apply it to their classrooms. Kay, thank you so much for being our guest. We really appreciate your time and are so thankful to be able to learn from you. Oh, thank you, Marjorie. It was great to be here. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we explore literacy topics in a snack-sized, easily digestible format.